Hey everyone, my name is Jason Parker, and I want to welcome you to the Coastal Church Podcast. I'm super excited for you to hear this message. We believe that God wants to speak to us, and we hope that you're open to hear what He has to say to you today. Enjoy. Just want to just take a moment. Uh, if we're your home church, you know I don't do this very often, uh, but to not do it would be unwise. Uh, there are so many things around this church that are going extremely well. Uh, for the last couple of years, due to the difficulties that we were in, there were some things we couldn't do. There are ministries we had to shut down and had to alter and tweak and adjust. But this fall, we've been able to launch things we couldn't do before, like uh, student ministries, kids ministry, youth ministry, uh, alphas, and all these different kinds of things have been going so well. I don't know if you know this, but on Tuesday night, our kids club meets here, and they are running between 65 and 80 children. Yeah, that's crazy. And then the next night, our youth ministry is happening, and there's 40 to 50 youth that are showing up, which means there's well over 100 students that are gathering in here during the week, and it's just phenomenal. I mean, it's just an incredible sight to see. Uh, Alpha Weekend was this past weekend. It's running on Sunday nights. We have CR down at South Church. Small groups are up and running. The life of the church is kind of bubbling and moving again, and what I've noticed is there's a lot of people who are looking to be poured into as of late. Does that resonate? But I've also noticed that after the last couple of years, uh, people feel dinged, bruised, life is complicated, things are not like they used to be. And while there seems to be more people looking to be poured into, there's less people available to do the pouring. Does that make sense? Do you not feel yourself holding on to your calendar a little bit tighter these days? Do you not find yourself with even your own emotional energy? Like, I don't know how much more I can give. Home life is complicated. Work life is complicated. I don't know. I just find myself holding tight. Does that resonate? Because we're hearing it all the time. So I hope it resonates back and forth. Maybe you wouldn't use that language, but people are just kind of holding tight. They don't know what's coming and that makes them cling a little bit. The other thing we've noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's kind of expensive to buy gas these days. Or is that just my vehicle? And then I get hungry from time to time, like every other hour. And I go to the grocery store and someone's playing a dirty trick on us. Food prices have gone sky high. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed the Digby lobster price is not doing so well? People are already getting tense about our law. Like, you know this is happening. So will it shock you if I tell you that our giving as a church is tracking well behind budget? Of course that won't shock you. People are holding tight right now. They don't know what's coming. And so I just need to let you know that we are running low on volunteers. Some incredible ministry is happening, but it's a few people doing a lot of things. And giving where we would normally budget ourselves at this point in time of the year, we are quite far behind. Now, that's not initially alarming because summertime, people don't give the same way. And so it starts to make up ground. But we are about as far behind at this point in time of the year as any year that I've been here. And it's not shocking. We are facing difficult conversations. And so this is not about guilt. This is not about do better. It's not that. My, my ask is this. Would you pray this week, if we're your home church, if this is the place you come for community, fellowship, and faith, if this is your church and you're not serving, would you consider serving somewhere? 
You're like, well, I don't even know where to start. Email one of us. We'd love to help you figure that out. But would you serve somewhere in our church family? And the second thing I'm asking you to pray about is not going home and doubling your tithe. But if you're not contributing financially to the ministries of the church, would you consider doing so? Uh, we don't sell goods and services here. Uh, you don't come here for $19.99 a month subscription to Yarmouth Wesleyan Church. If you ask to meet with me, I don't have a jar on my table where I say, drop a 50, you have me for an hour. Right? That's not how this works. We don't do buying and selling services. We give to the Lord and the church leadership stewards whatever comes in. And so the, the, the thing we will start to decide as a church leadership team is we can only do what we have to do. So if we stay tight with volunteers, we may have to make some adjustments to our ministries. And if we track behind financially, much like you would do for your budget, you'd have to alter your household budget, would you not? Or you should, that's how that works. We have to do that as a church if we don't make up ground soon. So this is not a threat. This is not guilt. This would just be poor leadership to not inform us of how we're doing. So that's what I'm ask you to pray about. I know that's like, oh, great way to start your sermon, pastor. <laughs> well, let me cheer you up. Let me cheer you up. You want to be cheered up today? I'm here to inform you that all the marriages in the community are doing great. <laughs> I want you to know all the marriages are great. I want you to know that parenting has never been easier than in 2022. Just need you to know that. And I want you to know that all interpersonal relationships are now healed, good, and on point in all the community. Just want you to know that. No? <laughs> We're going to dive into relationships. We're going to dive into it because relationships have become crazy complicated, have they not? Uh, Dave and I talk about pastoral care stuff. I've been in ministry for 18 years. I've never seen the likes of it. I've never, ever in all my ministry days been hit with so many conversations around, you don't know what the last two and a half years did to our family, did to our marriage, did to our workplace, did to these relationships, did to this, that, and the other thing. I have bumped into so many conversations about difficulties in parenting that are not about a parent and a 10-year-old, but are about an adult parent and an adult child. Can we agree that we live in an incredibly complicated time in history? And it's having ridiculous effect on our relationships. Agreed? This is important because once upon a time, the community mattered. Once upon a time, you were not just a person, you were a person of a place. You were from Pubnico. You were from Tuscat. Uh, Steve is the son of Alfred. Dave is the daughter of Melissa. We knew each other by our place and by our family lineage, Right? Like, you knew people by the same name, and you want to know who their parent was. Like, well, who's their mom and dad? I know I worked with their mom and dad years and years ago. We were people of a place and people of a, of a family. And the value of a community was to come around people, speak words of life, speak words of direction, and communities watched out for other people's kids when they were around the, the community, right? We would say things like, it takes a village 
to raise a child. And you'd see old Johnny's kid running around with Bruce's kid. And if Bruce's kid's like Bruce, I know what they're up to on a Friday night, right? We used to do this kind of thing. My call into ministry did not start initially by me realizing that God had a plan for my life in ministry. It started with the community and the church I was a part of saying, boy, we see these things in you. I couldn't see them. I didn't recognize them. But the older, wiser veterans of the faith said to me, son, there's something going on inside of you. Because we were a part of a community, yes? That's long gone, folks. We are no longer people of a community. We are no longer people of a place. We are more transient than ever before, which is not inherently bad, but it makes us with shallower roots. We're not known by our generational families. We're not known by the family tree. We no longer want the community to speak into us because now no one knows me better than I know me. And more than the community speaking into what I need, I will tell the community what I need because now we are no longer driven by the needs of the community. We are driven by the Holy Trinity. My feelings, my wants, and my desires. Because if I feel it, it's real. If I want it, I should have it. And if I desire it, it must be good. Does that sound familiar? To make matters more complicated, people have always been selfish in nature. But we used to pop up against a community and they would rub off the rough edges. You might even go to counseling. And the counselor might challenge you a little bit to push in on your rough edges. And the counselor might say things to you, talk to me about your family. Well, my family is this, that, that thing. Does your family love you? Do they care about you? Yes. Well, lean into your family. Lean into the people who love you and care about you. That counseling narrative has been swapped out for a different narrative. It is no longer counseling people into a family that loves them and cares for them. We now counsel people, no, we don't. It's counseled of people to lean into people who now agree with you. It's shifted. We used to drive people into families who would speak truth in love. Counseling is now driving people into affirmation at all costs. People can no longer disagree. Polarizing opinions can no longer be shared in a healthy and calm and conversational way. If you don't agree with me all the time, no matter what, at every turn, you no longer love me and I must cut you out of my life. I cannot have toxic people around me and I will block you. Church, am I warm? Is it hot in here? <laughs> I'm here to tell you if the Holy Trinity of my wants, needs, and desires and my feelings... I think I just said four things, are above all, and me is the most important thing on God's green earth, I'm here to tell you that is the death of community. If I am right all the time, no matter what, don't question me, then we can't do we anymore. Are we still tracking? As long as I am always right, no matter what, without hesitation, 
I can't do community. And so with the rise of the individualism, it is the death of community. We're going to talk about relationships for the next few weeks. The first relationship I want to get into is marriage. Because it's super, super easy to be married these days. <laughs> I don't want to talk about workplace, even parenting, this, that, or the other thing, if we can't talk about one of the most foundational things in our life, which is marriage. How do I get along with you all if I can't get along with my wife? If I can't get along with this person, how will I ever get along with all kinds of people? Now, whenever you bring up the word we're going to preach on marriage, it's always a mixed bag. Some are like, oh, good. Tell my spouse where they've screwed up. <laughs> and others who are single, like, marriage? I don't want to be married, or I just got out of an unhelpful marriage. Or maybe you're widowed. Or maybe you divorced 20 years ago, and there's still wounds, and there's still blood dripping. You're like, I don't want to talk about marriage would you hang with me for a few minutes? Married, divorced, widowed, single. I believe God has a word today. Some of the young people in the room, you might want to get married someday. Remember these words. <laughs> this will serve you well. I'm here to tell you there are worse things than being single, young people. And the old people said, well, that wasn't very good. <laughs> Paul had a few things to say about marriage. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. If you're new here, you don't bring a Bible, you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen beside here. But in Ephesians, Paul does 1, 2, and 3, chapters 1, 2, and 3 on the gospel message. Like if you're a Christian, if you believe in a God who loves you and sent Jesus to die for the forgiveness of your sins and invites you into community and fellowship, this is a word for you. You do not get to say, well, that rubs my feelings the wrong way. This is us submitting to God's word and what he has to say for our marriages. And Paul starts out really light. <laughs> Some of you are like, we're already reading. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Well, ladies, where's the amen? See, it's hard to read the word submit in 2022, isn't it? You come to a word like submit, like, all right, we got a fight on our hands. <laughs> Unclench, chill out. One of the first mistakes we do is to put 2022 filter on an ancient text. Submission is right and good, but do not hear a male chauvinistic, women become doormats no matter what filter over top of this text. So what happens is you read that, well, closed. Hold on, hold on. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So the ladies are all gathered around for a movie night and they start comparing who married the biggest dope. <laughs> like, no, my husband's a bigger dope than yours. Settle down, ladies. This does not say submit to your husbands as so much as he's earned it. As to the Lord. It's an act of worship in this passage. For the husband is the head of the wife. Well, uh, I'm not here to hear we're on male dominated. No, settle down. 
There is leadership given to roles in marriage. There's roles given to roles in marriage. And men lead as Christ was the head of the church. Men, you don't lead like other men. You don't love your wife and family like your golfing buddies. You don't do marriage like people in the community. There is a God factor here that the men are to love as Christ in the manner or the likeness that Christ loved the church. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so wives also should submit to everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Here's the part I want to dig into today. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I do a lot of weddings, and I use this passage, and I read this passage at a lot of weddings. And you got the bride and the groom, and they're standing up here, and they're all in love, and they're excited for their big party and how their photos are going to turn out. And they've got the dinner coming, and they're really excited to ditch the party and go be alone later together. Then they're going on honeymoon, and they're standing there, and all oh, they're so in love. And I do a lot of weddings, and I get to preach and say a few things, and everything inside of me wants to say to them, are you really in love today? Yeah, we're really in love today. Can you not wait for the honeymoon to tear into each other? Yeah, we can't wait for the honeymoon. You've read the Bible, right? That's biblical. And they go on and on. I want to say, I just want to lean in. Don't worry. This won't last. I do a lot of weddings. That might help me do less. What I want to say to them is all this, it's not real. This that you're doing, it's great, but it's not the real thing. This is play. This is pretend. Because they're going to get out there and they're going to figure out that marriage is the most wonderfully complicated relationship on God's green earth. Old married couples, where are you? Say amen, please. It does not say, and the two shall get along. It does not say, and the two shall tolerate each other's quirks. It does not say, and the two shall go to the Dominican once a year. It does not say, and the two shall get their motorcycle license and ride together once in a while. It says, and the two shall become one. It does not say that about parenting. It, says, it does not say that about your coworkers. There is a unique and sacred thing that happens where the two shall become one. And I want you to know that is the most difficult thing to do on God's green earth because we are selfish people. 
Thanks, Donna. <laughs> that there is the call. Two shall become one. And when they're standing at the altar, that is so deep, they can't even fathom what it means. And the part of the passage that I want to pull out more and more these days is it says, and the two shall become one, and he shall hold fast. Those two words, hold fast, have been bouncing in my head for a couple months. Hold fast. And when I say this at weddings, like you two need to hold on to each other. Like, absolutely, we can't get enough of each other. They walk down the aisle, they're grabbing hands. I say, grooms, you may kiss your bride. And they smooch and smooch and smooch. It's getting longer and longer with every year that goes by. <laughs> and when I talk about holding fast, they're like, no problem. Super easy, pastor. It's easy to hold fast because I love this person so much. I feel butterflies in my stomach. My stomach goes into knots when they walk in the room. This holding fast will be easy forever and always. See, I heard a sermon a long time ago that talked about holding fast. And Matt Chandler was preaching on this idea of marriage and what it requires. And what we tend to do in our Western culture is we take the first thing we need to hold fast and we make it everything. We need romance to hold fast. Yes? It's okay, you can say it. We want to feel things towards this other person. We want to have the butterflies in the stomach. We want to be attracted to the other person. We want that romance that there's nobody else on God's green earth that I want to spend my life with. All I think about is you. We want that kind of stuff. It's a good thing to pursue. It's a terrible foundation to stand on. Have you noticed that, married people? Now, this might come as a shock to you. Julia... <laughs> does not always feel real loving towards me. <laughs> this might shock you, I know. I'm the picture of husbandly perfection. <laughs> but there are times, there are times that Julia does not feel love towards me. Now, it's come as a shock to me that sometimes she doesn't even want to be married to me. <laughs> I know it's a shock, I know. Can you imagine if Julia and I had to be married and built on the foundation of romance and feelings? How, how do you walk out a marriage over the long haul that's built on romance and feelings? See, Pastor Matt also brought along this idea that we need covenantal language in our marriages. This idea of a covenant being bound together, like glued together, is biblical in how our relationship goes with God, but it's also the two shall become one. There, there's a covenant and a binding. And when we think about covenant and binding, your mind might go to, that's the legal part of our marriage. Like when I do a wedding, I sign the papers. I, I can do that. I got the authority given to me by the province of Nova Scotia to bind two people together in holy matrimony. And after the wedding, I give them a certificate and I run down, I mail the papers off so that you are legally married in the province of Nova Scotia. But I've been wanting to press in on people soon. I think I might do it starting next wedding season. Why am I doing your wedding? 
Like me specifically, an ordained minister of the Wesleyan Church, why am I doing it? Because at your courthouse, your local justice of peace has the same authority to bind you together in covenantal language that the province of Nova Scotia will recognize. If I am participating as a servant of the Lord, am I not just binding you together in Nova Scotia? Am I not binding you together with the Father too? Like the visual I've been having this summer is as I'm doing the wedding and we do them up here and you got the bride and groom, it's like I can see God grabbing them. God doesn't have hands, but if God had hands, like pressing them together as one. And the province of Nova Scotia has nothing to say about that. That is a spiritual act where God presses them in and binds them together. And when we do that, it's not just a covenant between us and the province. It's before God, our Heavenly Father. We don't talk that way about marriage as much anymore. And what happens is, shocking, when Julia does not want to be married to me, she is in a covenant-binding relationship. When we first got married in 2006, my parents were going through a divorce And it's kind of peculiar to be a pastor in the Wesleyan church as an adult, watching your parents separate as you're trying to become one with somebody yourself. So I don't know how you cope with wounds. I cope through humor. (laughs) Julie appreciated this. As my parents were divorcing, I saw similarities between me and my dad. I saw similarities between Julie and my mom. And my 24-year-old brain thought, If my parents can't stay together, then what hope do I have to stay together? And if that didn't make it, we're not going to make it. If that took 24 years to fall apart, let's get this over in 24 minutes. And in, in my woundedness, I started using divorce jokes to alleviate the tensions in our fights in our first year of marriage. I was a real treat to be married to, folks. See, the romance was fine, I was hedging on the covenant. Do you see it? Every time we fought or disagreed, I kept putting one foot out. Like, if you're going to leave, do it now. Well, why don't we just, I kept having my one foot at the door, that if everyone's going to get divorced, we're next, so why don't you just go ahead and do it now? And Julia, because she is a much better spouse than I am, she's the one that had to say, if we're going to do covenant, divorcing humor is off the table. It does not have a place or room in our home or in our marriage because this covenant doesn't have that out. Julia had to lead me to that point. And so there are times when the feelings are gone that you need the covenant to hold you together. But let's be honest, even, oh yes, I I got Julia's permission on all of this. (laughs) Even with covenant, There are times she eyeballs me and thinks, nope. (laughs) Nope, I do not want to be married to this guy. He is impossibly difficult to live with. There's one more strand we need to have a bigger vision to hold fast. We need a gospel picture. See, there are times we don't feel it. There are times we don't even want it. There's got to be that third binding part that says there is a bigger story being told. And it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ did. 
So I get to stop loving Julia when Christ stops loving the church. That's my out. And it says to Julia, submit to your husbands, not if he's worthy of it, but as the church submits to Jesus. That's the model. And there are times when we don't like each other. We don't even want to be together. There's times the conversations like we hold together for the sake of the gospel. I don't know this would become as a shock to you, but there are times when our marriage is struggling or in a difficult spot where it's like, I'm holding on, not even for the sake of this, but for the sake of the kids in the church. I don't mean like holding on till they grow up and then I get to cut Julia loose. Do you know what happens when the lead pastor of the church goes through a messy divorce in front of the church? Do you think that has an effect on the church? See, there are times where we don't have it in us to hold it together on any one thing. But there are times Julie and I are maybe not be jiving. It's like, for the sake of our kids, we know one of the greatest gifts we can give them is for us to remain together. Now, the, the, the conversations that might be going off in your head right now must be laughable. First one is like, so you stay together with Julia for the sake of the church? <laughs> Heavens no. There is a three-chord weave that happens that absolutely you should tend to the romance in your marriage. Intimacy is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And it is far bigger than the bedroom. Yes? Yes, have an incredible sex life. Go for it. From your pastor on Sunday morning, let her rip. <laughs> But guess what? That's not the fabric that holds it together either, is it? Sometimes the last thing you want is the bedroom and you just want to sit down and watch Netflix. <laughs> and what happens is people say, well, I don't like the shows they watch. Yeah, I don't like the shows that Julia watches either. They're ridiculous. <laughs> she knows it. It's not about the shows, folks. Isn't it interesting how in marriage we say things like opposites attract? Have you noticed this? Opposites attract. And then you book a meeting with, meeting with me 10 years later and say, we have nothing in common. <laughs> Part of saying Thursday nights, we sit down together and we watch the show that she loves that I can't stand is sending the message it's not about the show. It's about the person on the couch. I say to Julia, do you want to sit down and watch football? No. <laughs> I'll rub your feet. I'm in. <laughs> See, it's not about the thing. It's the time. It's creating intimacy. I come home from work pastoring this church. You wouldn't know it. And Julia will say, how was your day at Yarmouth Wesleyan? I'll say, terrible, they drive me crazy. That's you guys. <laughs> and she'll say, tell me about it. And I'll say, no, because I'm a wonderful husband. She's like, no, no, I don't care about your day events per se. I need to hear you talk about your day so I have a connection to you.
So I've told her, I don't like to be interrogated in the kitchen. <laughs> so if it costs us $5 to get Timbits for the kids and put them in the back of the van and go for a drive, she knows that my guard is down while I'm driving. I'm far more likely to talk about my day while I'm driving a vehicle. And we'll chat, not about stuff that needs to be chatted about, but chatting in a way that connects two people back together again. Do you hear it? It's not about, do you like the thing they want you to do? You probably don't. Do you want to like the person who's asking you to do it? It's going to require submission on the thing to connect to the person who's making the ask. So yes, romance is good. Invest in it in a robust, robust way. But this covenant piece, you're going to need to lean into it. Covenants don't happen by accident, yet we'll say things like, I just find we're drifting apart. Early in ministry, I was finding myself counseling people through situations. And situations happen, don't get me wrong. But far more often than a situation, what I'm presented with now is people who have drifted apart. I need you to know with all the love, drifting is passive language. You were not created to be a passive person. Why is it that we can schedule our vehicles in for maintenance like clockwork, but we never want to pop the hood in our marriage? See, we joke about, we stand at the altar and say, I do, and say, I love you. And the one person will say, do you still love me? Well, I said it once, and if it changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> we say things like that, but we don't treat other heirs of our life this way. We, we, we have this weird notion, like, I'll assume it's good until it isn't. And then one spouse is shocked when the other spouse books a meeting with the pastor to say, like, I didn't know anything was going wrong. How about instead of waiting until you've drifted apart and a chasm has formed, pop the hood regularly and check the oil. One is passive and one is active. Nobody, blah, blah, blah. Nobody passively and accidentally stays together for 50 years and has a healthy and robust marriage by accident. It doesn't happen. So this covenant is not to be assumed. It's to be tended to. And then the third one that I've, I've outlined for you is this one might be newer. This gospel language. Many of you in this room talk about retirement far more than a vision for your marriage. Many people know how much money they need to have to punch out someday. Many people in this room talk about succession plans for your business and you should. Many people talk about a college fund for the children, but many, many, many people lack a vision for their marriage as long as their retirement plan. What's the point to have a million setting aside and the other person not showing up there with you? Part of what I would love to see happen this week, how hard would it be for the couples in this room to carve out one hour and $10? Can you do that? One hour and $10? If you don't have $10, see Dave Hockley. <laughs> he graciously said, I'll fund all these things. One hour and $10. Take an hour, go to Tim's, go somewhere, have a coffee and ask this question. Where do we want to be in 50 years in light of the gospel? You might look at each other and say, toothless and smiling. 
then praise the Lord. Start there and reverse engineer it. You might want to say, leaving this earth, leaving our kids with their parents still married to each other and still liking each other. Awesome. Start there and reverse engineer it. What is your marriage? What is going to be said about your marriage one day? You have a say in that. One hour and $10. Church, here's the deal. Some of you are loving this and some of you are hating this. I had, I had a single person come to me after the sermon and said, nope, didn't like that one. <laughs> single people. Singleness is not a, cur- uh, not a disease to be cured of. Single people. It is not a disease to be cured from. Do you hear me? It is not a disease to be cured from. And you will say to me, but I'm lonely. I know that. Marriage may not fix that. You need community, not marriage. Some of you are saying, I'm still wounded from a divorce I went through. Probably. Of course you are. Why would you think otherwise? For two people to become one, super glued by God together, and then be ripped apart because of sin, not the other person. Please, the other person, while you might think they are the villain, sin is the villain. And when that got ripped apart, you may say things like, I'm still believing, probably. I don't feel the same, probably not. But I need you to know something. While I would love to promise you it always fixes, it always gets better, every marriage, maybe not. There are still individual wills at play. And while our Heavenly Father would love to restore every marriage, that may not be possible at times. And I need you to hear this. Where he can't restore the marriage, he will restore the person. Be careful saying things. I just can't live without that person. Don't say that. I don't want to live without, without Julia, but I could. She doesn't complete me. I don't complete her. Two sinful people do not complete each other. God completes you. God brings healing. God brings restoration. And if it can't be for the marriage, he will pursue the individual with an incredible passion like you've never seen before. And so we stand here not saying, here are your three tips to a perfect marriage. We stand here saying marriage is incredibly complicated, but there's power available and our God who is so much bigger. Whether you are single, widowed, divorced, married, good, bad, or ugly, our God is bigger. There is power to restore, there's power to heal, and there's power to bind together. We really hope that this message has motivated you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus and has inspired you to join us in our mission to take Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova. If you have any questions about the sermon, if you want to know how you can get involved, send us an email at office at coastalchurchns.com. We'd love to get connected with you. Have a great day.